where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Dr. Kate Watson, and I'm flying solo today. So I'm going to have to bring twice the energy normally required of me. Uh, I've had coffee. Actually, let's be honest. This is sort of embarrassing, but sitting next to me is a cup of coffee and a glass of iced tea because that's the kind of caffeine addict I am. I like something hot and something cold. Um, you know, when I'm flying solo, it means I may need to laugh at my own jokes, which uh, isn't going to be fun for any of us. But honestly, today's topic is kind of a serious one. Um, I do think that we can have some fun with it, but it's a topic that I hope you'll find helpful in your life and in your work. I wanted to speak about well-meaning advocacy or activism. So when I'm not running this podcast, I run a consulting company called the Advocacy Academy. I founded it in 2017. I've taken the company all around the world, speaking to healthcare providers, social workers, educators, and military personnel about advocating for others or advocating for a cause or advocating for change in society overall. I offer courses primarily for victim advocates, but I also offer some general courses that might be helpful for anyone who wants to make some kind of change. Um, You know, healthcare providers often want to see change in their patients, but other kinds of helpers and advocates want to see change in the world. I speak about that. And it's about time I share some of that experience here on the podcast. So many people look around the world and see many problems to solve and they feel powerless. And and in that moment of feeling powerless, they either do too little or they do too much and they get overwhelmed. So I started to offer a coaching program for community advocates. I help people discover their changemaker voice. And some people want to change the world. Some people want to change their local communities. Some people want to change their workplaces. And some people come to me because they want to change themselves. I work with everybody who's interested in being an advocate for change, growth, or healing in some capacity. Here, here's why I think I'm credible on this topic, though. <laughs> I think I have a little voice of credibility. Oh my gosh, because uh, I've I've messed it all up over the years. I've made so many mistakes. And luckily, I had a lot of opportunities to learn how to do it better. Um, in fact, when I was in graduate school to study psychological counseling, I felt like my eyes were really opened to the ways that we can create quantum change when we broaden our scope and we don't just try to help people one at a time. That was really instilled in us uh, as, as counselors and therapists in training. 
We were told constantly, yes, you will be a therapist and you will see patients all day long, but you have an ethical responsibility to make change in society that goes beyond one person at a time. And that realization made me want to continue my education in public health. So I got a degree in health policy and social justice. That helped me understand a lot about theories of justice and how government works and larger societal change. But I knew I still needed more because I didn't really understand organizational change. So I got a certificate from Cornell on diversity and inclusion. That was helpful. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, here's the point. The most important thing that I have is a network of people who patiently and generously share their experiences with me. And I listen to them. Now I'm sharing with you, the podcast audience, what I've learned from listening to others. So I've set this up as a three-part series. Today is part one. In part one, we will talk about common issues that come up when people think about beginning advocacy or activism work. In part two, I will share some specific tools for advocacy so that you can consciously choose which ones are a good match for you, your goals, your skill set, and your personality. Let's face it, we're not all going to carry the megaphone. <laughs> so we will talk about all the tools for change, or at least some of them. What are those options? And in part three, we're going to hear from my good friend, Julie Gehring, who has many years of experience organizing volunteers. She's going to tell us about the times when well-meaning volunteers may end up causing more harm than good. So let's get started with part one. I want to walk us through what it means to be an advocate and where well-meaning advocates sometimes go wrong. Advocacy means to lift up the voice of a person or a cause. Now, I work with a lot of victim advocates. They are the people who respond to folks who have been crime victims. Typically in my work, it's folks who work with those who've been sexually assaulted or are experiencing domestic violence, but it could also be hate crime victims, um, families of homicide victims, all sorts of people. Some folks are courtroom advocates. Some people are patient advocates. I know teachers don't usually identify with this phrase, but I like to think that teachers are student advocates. Parents are advocates for their children. If some company has screwed you over, you can call a consumer advocate to help you. Advocates lend their voices, their power, and their privilege to the people who don't have it already. So let me emphasize, I come to this with some assumptions. I assume that advocates have some kind of power or privilege. In order to create change, you must have some kind of power or privilege. And I don't know if your power comes from your age, your gender, your race, your social class, or a professional title that you have, a, uh, a training that you went to, a connection that you have. I don't know those things about you. But if you didn't have any power or privilege, you wouldn't get very far trying to amplify the voices of others. Remember, this is about lifting up the voices of those who have little to no power. How could you do that if you too had little to no power? So I like to say that activism and advocacy is about using your privilege for good, not for harm. 
And that brings me to the first way that we sometimes, despite good intentions, cause more harm than good. Sometimes we hear the word privilege and we get defensive. But you aren't helping anyone by denying that you have power or privilege. I have a friend who likes to say, oh, I know it sounds bad, but, you know, I'm a privileged white guy. And over and over again, I remind him, it doesn't sound bad. It sounds honest. Once you're honest about your power and privilege, you can use it for good. To deny your power in this world is gaslighting, which is another topic for another day. Maybe we need a part four of this series. <laughs> I think we might by the end of this. The other thing I notice in well-meaning advocates or activists is what I call an overcommitment to being good. Many of the white people I know are so desperate to prove that they are, quote, good white people. I know men who work so hard to show everyone that they are the, quote, good guys. They're not the bad guys. But part of the danger in believing in the false dichotomy of good people and bad people is that good people become so invested in being, quote, good that they have trouble acknowledging the harm they may have caused while trying to help others. You might think to yourself, no, I'm one of the good ones. Look, we all mess up, my friends. Even if, even if you're woke, even if you're a social worker, even if you're a genius, even if you've been an advocate for 40 years, even if you've been on the front lines of the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, I don't care. We all make mistakes. This podcast is full of stories about people, myself included, messing up. But I'm signing up for that lifelong journey of always growing and improving myself because I know I can't change other people, but I can help other people by constantly changing my behavior when I'm with them. Let me say that again. I cannot change other people, but I can help other people by changing my behavior when I'm with them. So please own your errors and be better every day because honestly, <laughs> the most exhausting people are the ones who need that constant reassurance that they're still good. Oh no, 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 you're one of the good ones. Look, that's just draining and no one has time for that. So we've got to let it go. You don't need to be perfect. What's important is owning your mistakes, learning from them, being better in the future. And I like to say this shit ain't for the week, but uh, but if you're tempted to just say, F it, this is too hard, I am who I am, uh, you know, please remember, adults have a responsibility to figure out which traits are toxic and hurtful and fix those. That's part of being a mature adult. Okay, that's enough lecture from me. Uh, the, another way... That well-meaning activists and advocates get off track. Well, you know, they try to wear all the hats or they believe they need to wear all the hats. Oh my God, there is a type of change maker out there to suit everyone's personality and values. Some people are the rebels, right? They disrupt. They do boycotts and strikes and sit-ins and other forms of disruption. Some are peaceful, some are not. The rebels are sometimes willing to be physically hurt or arrested as a result of their actions. Rebels know there might be severe consequences. They're willing to receive them if necessary. And most major movements in the world are going to need some rebels to do some disrupting. I like to say most revolutions in the world were fought 
and one on the backs of rebels. They risk their rights and their reputations for us and for the betterment of our world. And in any movement, even if you're not the rebel, we need to look out for and protect our rebels. You don't need to be one, but have their backs because they're doing some really hard work. And like I said, this isn't for everyone. And thank goodness there are other positions to fill. Some people are educators or what I like to call consciousness raisers. They share information and spread awareness. They pass around articles on social media. They engage in difficult conversations that push people beyond their comfort level. They try to back up their claims with evidence and research. Educators try to change minds. They raise awareness. They do marches and demonstrations and artistic campaigns. And those campaigns are usually designed to build awareness. And I like to say, you know, it may be rare that education immediately leads to legal or social change, but it can lead to very meaningful mind shifts. The educators and the consciousness raisers need to be patient and accept that their work may not lead to quick radical change, but it's still important work to do. Sometimes people like to say, oh, anyone could share an article on the internet. Oh, anyone could do that. That's easy. I don't know, folks. I think it's actually a skill set to be able to carefully select information that is accurate, that is helpful, to be able to share it in a way that is sensitive, and to be able to converse about it in a way that is patient and respectful and if patience is not your thing, then I don't think educator and consciousness raiser is your role because this requires a patient stance. The educators and the consciousness raisers are unlikely to see massive change very quickly. This is a role for people for whom their strength is the ability to remain calm and measure the small progress. That's not everybody. This isn't for everybody. Uh, this includes artists, you know, politically and socially conscious artists are consciousness raisers. Uh, we need them to make us think and to make us feel. You know, I think about a lot of famous educators and consciousness raisers, Spike Lee, Tarana Burke, James Baldwin, Frida Kahlo, they make us think, they make us feel, they reach people with their work. All right, we talked about rebels, we talked about educators. Some people are direct helpers. They provide services, skills, resources to help people who are feeling disempowered or who are disempowered to make decisions and access resources. So you might be a helper if you are volunteering at a homeless shelter, working as a counselor or social worker, uh, helpers keep things going in the here and now, while other roles might be looking ahead or be they might be more strategic. We need helpers to be on the ground, rolling up their sleeves, getting the job done, while some other people might be looking to the future and how we want things to be different ahead of us. I always think of Jose Andres uh, when I think of the helpers because... You know, I shouldn't pretend like I know a lot about his work, but he is a chef and he runs the World Food Kitchen. And what little I know about Jose Andres and the World Food Kitchen is that when there is a terrible event or tragedy in the world, Jose Andres and his team just show up and start feeding people. 
if there's an earthquake or a hurricane or wildfires or whatever is going on, they show up with food trucks or however they do it, and they get food into bellies. They make sure they are just rolling up their sleeves and doing. And it's possible that Jose Andres is also doing a lot of advocacy work to, you know, end world hunger in the future. I don't know anything about that. What I know of him is the helper role. So I don't mean to dismiss any other role that he might be playing. Maybe he is trying to look ahead and be strategic in the future, but I'm unaware of those efforts on his part. I am aware that he and his team just put a hot plate in front of folks who are in need and they don't ask questions. They don't seek ID. They don't want to know, well, how'd you get here? They don't care. If you want food, they will feed you. And to me, that's what a helper does. Some people are organizers. You know, they strategically focus on long-term demands for justice through consensus building, coalition building, future leadership development. Uh, you know, an organizer might, for example, try to build a coalition of voices to fight for more representation on school boards or in Hollywood or in Fortune 500 companies. Organizers could be researchers who are building data that support the educators and the rebels. You know, when you see rebels holding posters in their their boycott or their protest and the, and the posters have data on them, well, who do you think collected that data? That was some researcher in, you know, a university or in a lab or somewhere. They were getting the facts together, the talking points together that other people then can use. Some organizers might be the type to hold the megaphone and lead a chant, but honestly, most are behind the scenes, creating petitions, getting permits for the demonstration, loading up the van with cases of water to share for the people who are on the front lines. Uh, you know, sometimes they're fundraising bail money for the rebels. Um, but, you know, they may be the fundraisers, the petition movers, the campaigners, they may be the ones doing the paperwork. They may get the grants to fund the programs to help the, to, that the helpers can participate in. I, I like to say that every role that we're talking about, whether it's the rebel, the educator, the helper, whatever, every role leans on an organizer at some point. You know, it's tough for the rebels to be out there doing their rebellion without some organizer behind the scene. It's tough for the educators to educate unless somebody organized the data and the research for them to use. It's tough for the helpers to help if nobody organized the program for them to do the helping in. You know, I have a friend who's really passionate about engaging in more social justice work, and she's always telling me she doesn't know where to begin. And I remind her, look, it's wonderful that you want to do more and you should do more. But let's not use words like begin as if you're not already in this movement. And she always looks confused when I say that. And she'll be like, what do you mean? What am I doing? And I say, lady, you are a grant writer for a nonprofit organization that assists people who are seeking economic independence. And she'll usually jump in and say, yeah, but it's not like I'm meeting with the clients and helping them. You know, I just sit at a desk. Folks. Someone has to sit at the desk. Someone has to collect the data and do the fundraising and the grant writing. Someone has to complete the paperwork and pay the taxes. Someone has to keep that program going. She's playing a role in that whole system. 
Actually, just telling that story makes me think of another one. Uh, so shout out to Lori if she's listening, because years ago, my friend Lori approached me because she was starting a nonprofit organization for women in the arts, particularly like writing and performance art. Um, and she wanted the nonprofit organization to create plays focused on themes relevant to women in the United States. And she wanted me to sit on the board. And I, of course, agreed. While there may have been a large group of women doing the writing, performing, and telling of stories to create change, you know, Lori was the primary person handling the bank account, consulting with lawyers, filling out important paperwork, paying the taxes, etc. The organization couldn't have run without her. And I'm sure there were times when Lori probably felt like an administrative assistant pushing paper around, but it was all part of the movement. She was an organizer. Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't considered a, a feminist icon because she was leading marches and rallies and screaming into a microphone. Uh, I'm going to have to fact check myself on this one, but I don't believe I've ever seen a picture of RBG getting arrested or pepper sprayed. I am going to check though, just in case I'm wrong on that. But no, she's a hero because she used her gifts, the ability to construct argument to advance the rights of women. So please don't be put off or deterred from making a difference in the world just because you haven't found your role yet. Maybe you're not the rebel type. That's okay. Neither am I. When I was a therapist, I was the helper type. As a trainer, I'm the educator type. In my volunteer work, I, I do a lot of organizing. I fill the other roles. Don't miss out on a chance to change the world because you feel you can't wear all the hats. Wear the one that fits you. And don't let other people tell you which hat is the best. I've seen a lot of very well-meaning advocates and activists get deterred here because they think, oh, that's not me. Oh, I could never do that. Do what? Find what you can do and do that. So let's review where we've been. We're we're talking about the ways that sometimes well-intentioned advocates, excuse me, advocates or activists uh, may may get off track or may even at times do more harm than good. So we said that, uh, first of all, some activists will really dance around their power and privilege when they should be leveraging it. We also said some activists or advocates are so committed to being good that they can't take feedback or grow. We also said some advocates or activists try to do way too much and they get overwhelmed. They're trying to wear all the hats. And there are so many other ways that well-meaning changemakers get off track. Sometimes, for example, well-meaning advocates just don't know where they can be useful. History shows us that it's best to speak from your own identity. So don't assume that you know what's best for a demographic group to which you do not belong. You will have to listen and learn in order to advocate for groups to which you do not belong. This sometimes, though... I'll admit, (laughs) this sometimes feels like a mixed message. Uh, So for example, when it comes to racism, I will often hear white people need to shut up and listen. And I also hear the message, white people cannot stay silent. They need to use their voices to advocate for oppressed people. At the surface level, those two messages can be confusing to white people. Should I shut up or speak up? You have to do both. Speak up, yes, 
but also listen to the needs of the people who you are trying to help. So here's my stance. I think this might be helpful. I have a little saying. <laughs> I'd like to say, speak up and do work when you are bothered, but not injured. So I'm saying you notice some problem or some wrong or some injustice in the world and you're bothered by it. Or maybe bothered isn't a strong enough word. Maybe you want to replace that with outraged. Whatever word works for you. You are bothered or outraged, but you are not personally injured. And whatever word you choose, the message remains the same. Get active when you are bothered but not injured or outraged when you are bothered but not injured. Let me be clear. I'm not saying injured people need to shut up and get out of the way. Gosh, no. No, 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 no. I'm saying injured people can and should do whatever they want to do. If you've been the victim of racism or classism or sexism or homophobia and you are injured or victimized in some way, I have no business telling you how to deal with that. I am a public speaker, trainer, writer, etc. I teach people strategies for change, but I teach the people who are bothered, not injured. I wouldn't insult the injured people by trying to teach them anything. Honestly, if I could just put this bluntly, they're just not my audience. I know how to stay in my lane. <laughs> I'm speaking to the millions of people whose eyes are open and they see problems and they're wondering, hmm, should I do something? Yes, especially if you are bothered but not injured. You are the perfect person to respond because you're not so personally hurt that you need to take a break or get some space or do some self-care. You, you may not be personally traumatized. Um, you are probably in a healthy enough space right now to take action and be thoughtful and strategic because you are fired up, but you are not hurt. The people who are hurt should do whatever they need to do. And if taking action works for them, great. And if you know, staying in bed for a few days works for them. That's fine too. I'm not getting into what people who have been hurt or victimized need to do. None of my business. I'm talking to the folks who are on the outside of that pain, but they are bothered or they are outraged. You're the ones. You're the ones. So that's my little saying for myself. I speak up when I'm bothered, but not injured. That's, that's the perfect place for me to be. Folks, there is more than one right way to advocate for change. You don't necessarily need to follow in someone else's footsteps. You don't need to be Martin Luther King or Susan B. Anthony. You can do this your way. We're going to speak more about that next week, and I hope you decide to check out the podcast next week when we continue this conversation. Right now, we've been talking about kind of understanding your roles and what hat you might wear and which hat's a good fit for you and what does that look like and how, how do you use that hat for good, not for harm. But next time, we'll be talking about specific tools for advocacy and activism. And as always, you can contact me at kate at onlytryingtohelp.com, K-A-T-E at onlytryingtohelp.com. Or you can follow the podcast on social media using I was O-T-T-H. So the handle for Twitter and Instagram is at I was O-T-T-H. O-T-T-H stands for only trying to help. I hope to hear from you on social media. Please be well, folks.
that day I live in a dream.